I'm Helene Panzerino, and I'm the host for this of our inaugural podcast, Dive Into Fintech, uh, which is following on from a webinar that we did on the 17th of March. Details can be found uh, below or on the links on our website as well. So for our first podcast, we're joined by Dave Birch, who's the expert in all things digital identity, and Gareth Naran Singh, who's the Chief Commercial Officer at Yoti, a digital identity platform, digital identity by design. Of course, uh, at LIBF, we're always looking at things that are surrounding banking, banking and financial services. So we're going to be diving into some of the areas where digital identity touches us in financial services, but also how it interacts with government, health, and not just those of us who are in the system, but those of us who are marginalized or outside, disenfranchised, unbanked, underbanked, essentially people with a refugee status, for example. And what does that mean from a digital identity point of view? We're following on from some of the discussion that we started on March the 17th, and you can find that uh, webinar that we had at on the LIBF website. Um, where we didn't get to finish all of the discussion. And so we've decided that we're going to move it over into today's podcast. So I'm joined again by Dave Birch, digital identity extraordinaire and a man about town. And Gareth Naran Singh, the chief commercial officer of Yoti. And we're going to carry on, as I said, the conversation on digital identity, its impact on the economic recovery, its impact on us as individuals, where it is, where it's going and how we can make it better. So welcome again, guys. Hi. Thanks very much. Hello. Gareth, we, when we had our conversation on the webinar on, on the 17th of March, we ran out of time to talk about what Yoti means by privacy by design. So why don't we start there? Yeah. So um, that's, a, that's a really, really broad one to cover. But um, I, th I think maybe I'll start off by just sharing, um, you know, the story about whenever I go to a hotel, to check in um, I'm usually asked for my passport and um, I have to give my passport over the counter and someone is then taking a photocopy of that passport and I have no idea where that photocopy is going uh, how it's being you know protected uh, whether you know it's it's being locked in a drawer or whether it's being sort of you know passed passed around different departments but um, that, that, that's a massive concern to me. And um, I don't really see why the hotel needs to know my name, my nationality, my passport number, my country of residence, all those attributes that a passport will inform someone of. Um, so that's a concern and that should be a concern for everyone. So the way that we've designed the Yoti app means that um, the Yoti itself will extract all those details off your uh, document, whether it's a passport, driving license or national ID card. But actually, when you come to share your identity with someone um, for the purposes of, I don't know, subscription, registration, signing on, taking out a bank account, that relying party should only require minimalist data in order to assure itself of your identity or attributes of your identity. So we will uh, only kind of request, or, or the, the, the relying party should only be requesting specific attributes of your identity. Um, that might be the fact that you're over the age of 18, 
or it might be, you know, your name and your address, but not your date of birth, not your country of residence, not your passport number, driving license number, etc. So that's where Yoti describes itself as being privacy by design. So um, we push to the user the exact ID attributes that the relying party is requesting, and the user has to consent to share those ID attributes. As an extra layer of security, you could invoke step-up authentication such that to share the identity attributes, you have to do a face scan uh, to do a face match against your facial biometric. That's just for tip-top security. But you can, hopefully you can see from what I've just described there that you know it, it is privacy by, by design. Thank you very much. Like you, and I expect Dave, you might have the same reaction. Every time I travel and someone has my passport, every time someone asks me to scan it for some reason, I feel ill inside because I have this sense that if someone uh, hijacks my identity, we've all heard the, the horror stories about what, it's not just about credit card numbers and bank details. When your identity is gone, it's hard to, to get everything back to right. Dave, no, I, a lot. I, I agree. I mean, we need to we need to move away from that environment where in order to the, the, the entrance fee for a transaction is giving away your identity. Um, that's why I said, you know, we, we need to move into this authorization domain where track transactions are on the basis of what you are or are not allowed to do. And that and that, by the way, is the overwhelming majority of transactions. The, the number of transactions where you actually need to give out identities is quite limited. I mean, I, I think I'm probably more militant about the privacy than designed than Gareth. He's a, he's a sort of reasonable and balanced person, whereas I, I, I'm more of a fanatic. I think privacy by design means that, that if you use the system, you get privacy. In other words, you have to do something outside the system to, 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 to destroy privacy. If you're just using, you know, if I if I'm if I'm using, you know, I mean, let's let's neutralize it away from Yoti. But let's say, you know, I, I go to Weatherspoons and the app pops up on my phone and I put my thumb on it and it tells them I'm over 18 and in I go. But I want to join the loyalty scheme because, you know, so maybe they want some persistent identifier. So it gives up some hash or some number that can't be traced back to me. Like all of that stuff works without them knowing who I am, right? Now, if there's some reason they need to know who I am, right? I get smashed over there with a bottle and they have to call the police or something like that. I've never been to a Weatherspoon, so I'm only sort of imagining what goes on inside there. Um, then that has to be outside that channel. Like I have to tell them who I am or show them some other document or whatever. In other words, just using the system delivers proof. I don't have to do anything to get privacy. I just have to use the system. And I have to go outside the system to violate privacy. So I, I'm kind of more militant than Gareth. I think systems should be designed, you know, with that with that higher bar. Actually something you, you mentioned there and, and I and I agree with you on that by the way. Um is is in the, in the chat that we had on the day of the webinar, there were lots of questions around the blockchain and someone saying, well, why isn't the blockchain a good use for this? Why do we need to have something else, right? It, 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 why isn't the blockchain the, the answer here? Well, when you say, you know, I mean, I, I, I do sound a bit like a broken record on this, not that any of your viewers will know what a record is, but, but you know, I, if, you, if you're going to say that, like, does, does it make sense to use the blockchain for identity? That's a very simple question. And I have a very simple answer, which is it depends what you mean by blocks. It depends what you mean by a chain. It depends what you mean by identity. And it depends what you mean by use. 
So if you can explain those points to me, then I can give you an answer. You know, if you can say, can we use the blockchain? Well, it's like, can we use vacuum cleaners for identity or something? I don't know. What are you going to do with them? You know, so the idea that, you know, we're going to somehow store my personal data in some public blockchain, that's never going to happen, right? Not in a sane world. Um, are you going to store some pointers to my data in a public blockchain? Well, maybe, but under what circumstances and who's allowed to look at them and why? Are you going to install some encrypted pointers to data that belongs to me in a public blockchain? Well, maybe, but then you've got that whole thing about whose keys and how can they be revoked? And But by the way, which I mean, in any kind of realistic, you'd have to do this anyway, because otherwise you can't do you can't do the, um, you know, the deletion. So if somebody comes along under GDPR and says, you need to forget all about me, um, you know, if it's on a blockchain, what are you going to do? You can't delete things from a blockchain. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not a blockchain expert. I'm not even necessarily an identity expert. I just understand. But you're uh, a CV I'm, expert? Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> I just understand that financial services needs to use identity services to to kind of help solve some of their, their, their problems. Um, but where, in my capacity as working for Yoti, we have come across uh, blockchain tech and, you know, solutions which are asking us to plug in. Um, we insist that no personal information is ever left on the blockchain. Um, you know, as, as, as many of the listeners will know, you know, blockchains create an immutable record. Um, and we therefore just don't think that it's right that pers personal information is ever, ever left uh, as an immutable record. Absolutely. Thank so you. I think, you know, there is a promising line of uh, research and inquiry there, which says, well, if we were going to install uh, something like this, maybe if we use the blockchain to store proofs about data rather than the actual data, that might be good. And if those proofs were encrypted in some way so that only the right people could. I mean, I'm prepared to listen to all of that. I, I can't imagine why it would be a blockchain, but some, some form of shared ledger probably would, would do it. So it's just complicated. And I, I probably shouldn't have been so ratty with people in the chat thing. But I mean, if you're just going to say, well, can we use the blockchain? Well, what do you mean? I mean, I, I can't answer that question. You've got to tell me what you mean and what you're going to use it for. You know, so in any, in any case, I don't think at this point that's that's identity isn't going to stand or fall on on whether it's on the blockchain or not. Those those use cases are, I you know, and, and you know, I'm sure Gareth would agree with this. You know, the, the, if you're talking about moving things into that authorization domain, then the much more interesting stuff to me is what's going on in the world of W3C verifiable credentials, what's going on in terms of sector specific dictionaries for those credentials and definitions and so on. And would it matter whether the underlying identity was in a blockchain or not? I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's not obvious to me that it would really. Interesting. And I think we, I, I wanted to just pick up on it because as you said, there was a lot happening in the channel. So people have maybe some thoughts, misconceptions, uh, you know, they, they, they don't fully understand or they think they understand ways this can be used. I, I want to come back to, to using it in the banking system, but, but a little bit off plan. I was listening to one of the news agents, agencies talking about a certain member of the royal family or erstwhile member of the royal family having her social security number uh, shared or discovered by a private investigator. And I remember feeling sick inside because uh, in the US, your social security number, like your national insurance number, I suppose here is, you know, so much depends on that as, as the identifier for you. Yeah. And half my brain was going, how did somebody even get that number? 
and and who sold it to this person. Mm. And the other half was going, my God, once it's out there, you have access to everything about that person. It, it, from, from nobody's, the- nobody's social security numbers are secret. I mean, the social security numbers are public identify your social security number must be in a million places. I mean, mine, I mean, I have a social security number because I used to work in the US and every damn thing you did, you had to give them your social security number. All of those records have already been stolen and leaked onto the dark now. I mean, the idea that your social security number is, is even private, never mind secret, is, is, is ridiculous. I mean, they have a consultation out at the moment, don't they, about the you know, replacement for social security numbers. But it's that same thing. It's that issue of using identity as a proxy to get at the data you actually need because you can't get it through a privacy by design author authorization system of the kind that gareth described it's that same thing when i walk up to the door and i present my card to the door the door should not be asking who are you and then looking in some database to see whether you can open the door the door should be asking the card have you got the credential which will allow you to open you know are you allowed in this door Yes, or, you know, it's a simple question. Yes or no. Either you have the credential or you don't. Uh, you know, to use my Weatherspoons example, you can imagine I go to Weatherspoons and in the background, Weatherspoons is saying to my phone, hat, watch, badge, you know, whatever it is, wristband, you know, is this person over 18? And my watch, hat, wristband, whatever will send back, well, okay, I've got these credentials which say that the person is over 18. Which one do you want? And Weatherspoons will say, okay, I want ones that are on this list because these are the people I trust. In other words, these are the people I've got the public keys for. Now, that sounds complicated. It really isn't. If you live in the cryptography world, it's not complicated at all. But in fact, you're talking about something that's going to happen in milliseconds, you know, uh, for, the, for, the, for the, the, you know, the door to say to your phone, have you got the credential? The phone to pop up and say, well, Dave, Weatherspoons want to know if you're allowed in. You've got these identities that have credentials associated. Which one do you want to be? By the way, I've defaulted it to John Doe because it will always default to John Doe. And in you go. So if you live in the world of, you know, cryptography, and keys and certificates, these are not, and they're not even complicated problems. They're straightforward, known, solved problems. I agree, we have to work hard on the form factor to make it easy for people to use. Um, you know, the, I, I'm not an expert on the UX and, and customer experience side of things, but clearly, you know, Yoti have done a fantastic job on that. But I think the solutions that we have available to, to people are, are, I think people don't even understand what's, what we can do. We can do some amazing stuff with this technology. I mean, maybe we haven't been very good at explaining it, but, but I agree with you. You know, that we need to get away from handing over identifiers like social security numbers when what we should really be doing is passing over credentials. Yes, and I think you're right. I think people don't, don't have a full understanding of it. And, and that's something that we as an industry should, should, uh, should do more of, I suppose. And actually, while you were talking, I was also thinking about you know, we, we mentioned the nefarious uses uh, on, on the web and other things that when we had the webinar. What about people we want to be able to identify, potential terrorists or other people that might be looking to harm? If we, if we, if we can identify people in one way, is that, is that, is that a security risk at some point? What, I, I, you, I don't understand what circumstances you mean. So, so if, if I'm going into Weatherspoons, you mean Weatherspoons should 
go to the sanctions list and screen me to see if I'm a politically exposed person before they serve me a pint or not. I mean, it's plausible. You could certainly imagine doing that. I think it's much more likely that you would do some background police work. Mm. And if the police see that my identity is being used to transmit money to the Bora Bora Mountains once a week, then the police would go with a warrant because we live in a democratic society. The police would go with a warrant to whoever provided that credential, Barclays, let's say, and say to Barclays, well, who is person one, two, three, four, five, six? Barclays are the only people that know. Weatherspoons don't know. Mm-hmm. Weatherspoons just know that person one, two, three, four, five, six is over 18. Yeah. So the police would go to Barclays and say, who is this? And Barclays would say, well, it's Dave Birch. And by the way, we've got an app on his phone, so we can tell you where he is, you know. Yeah. I don't I don't think I don't I th- you know I think we need to kind of untangle those things a little bit. Yeah, so um let me kind of just chime in there Helen because um you know the Yoti uh, we believe that everybody in the world has the right to own their digital identity for free. Yeah, so you could be um a murderer, you could be a convicted criminal, but you still have an identity and therefore you still have the right, the human right to own an identity, um, so that 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 is fine. So we will give anyone a yoti as long as they can prove they're a real person and prove that they are the person who they say they are. So that is anchoring the face to a government credential. Um, however, for financial services, that is when you need to start applying the filter. So if um, you know I'm a bad person, I've uh, you know committed heinous crimes, I can still have an identity, but at the point when I'm sharing that identity with the bank, the bank therefore needs to do screening of that identity just to check whether I am of the appropriate risk profile for onboarding or not. Now, actually, I mean, this is kind of a, uh, this is where sort of, you know, the ethics come in. So um, actually just because I've got a criminal conviction doesn't necessarily mean that I should be excluded from financial services. But actually, if I have stuff against my identity, which makes me a bad actor from a financial crime perspective, i.e., you know, I'm a pepper, a close associate, I'm a sanctioned individual, um, I have adverse media against me relating to, you know, tax fraud in the Philippines, then actually that's the point at which the bank looks at the individual and the risk profile of the individual and decides whether that person is of the appropriate risk to admit or not and actually just because you're a pep doesn't mean that you know you're a bad person um it just means that you have to do enhanced due diligence on that person to to mitigate the risk that they are a bad person i think prime ministers are peps aren't they yes no judgments there we're just just that people in, in public office wind up on that list Actually, you both mentioned something because we're talking about banks. So we're talking about people being in the banking system or outside the banking system. And one of the other points we didn't get a chance to dis- discuss uh, earlier in the week was around people who are outside of the banking system, who are marginalized or disenfranchised or unbanked, underbanked. And what happens there? Now, you've, you've said, Gareth, that everyone should have an identity because you know, it's, it's for free uh, for a certain level. But where do, where do these people fit in the grand scheme? Um, I think you're, if, if I'm to understand the question correctly, I think you're touching on the the, 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 the very delicate subject about financial inclusion. Is is, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so, there'll be um, unbanked, underbanked, refugee status, you know, lots yeah. of 
So, so, so the way it works at the moment, and remember, we're, we're only really at the outset of this journey. The way it works at the moment is that um, Yoti will um, hang our hats on a government credential if we can believe that government credential is authentic and genuine. So that really anchors to passports, national IDs, driving licenses. Um, what, where we want to get to in the future, and this is just starting to be pioneered, um, is using kind of, you know, reference documentation. So letters from charities, for example, that say that, you know, this person is who they say they are within a reasonable level of assurance. Um, we, we're not quite there yet. I have to say, we're not quite there yet. Um, the other, um, you know, restriction is the fact that people need to have a smart device. So they need to have um, a, a reasonable piece of tech in their hand, and that needs to have a reasonable camera attached to it. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we are a long way from, you know, dealing with the aspects of financial, the challenge of financial inclusion, inclusion at large, but it's a problem that, quite frankly, everybody in the industry is trying to solve today. I think um, I think the problem is intractable given the current regulatory framework. Um, if you're going to demand that people provide government-issued identity of some form or another before you allow them to have access to financial services, um, you know you're condemning you know hundreds and billions of people, for all I know. Um, to stay outside and, and for not an obvious reason. I mean, I think, you know, the, the FATF guidelines have inside them the, the concept of uh, whatever they call it, risk, risk adjusted or something, um, identification. But every bank will ask for a driving license and a passport or whatever, because they don't want to get, they don't want to get uh, had up for money laundering and whatever. So even though FATF says you can... So I think the solution lies in, in slightly different thinking around this kind of thing, because you have to think about what, what are the goals of this? And, you know, the, the, uh, the net social benefit of having people in the system um, is, 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 is greater, I think, um, than the, uh, the risk of some additional money laundering. I mean, remember, we, we, we don't catch any money launderers now, so it wouldn't make any difference whether you did KYC or not. I mean, I can't remember the exact figure, but I think currently AML costs about 100 times as much as it intercepts. And I think the head of Europol said that they're currently intercepting 0.15% of, of criminal flows, which is basically naught. So. Mm. So what you could say instead is, and I, and I could imagine an argument which would go like this. If I was Facebook, I would go to the finance minister in a developing country and I would say, listen, in this country, to all intents and purposes, Facebook is the Internet. Where everybody accesses the Facebook through the Internet through Facebook. You're allowing people to open bank accounts with forged Portuguese driving licenses, which you can't possibly tell whether they're real or not. So you just take a photocopy of them and put them in a drawer. And then we call that security. Well, that doesn't make any sense. So, um, and you know, uh, you know, we're Facebook. We might not know for certain that this is Gareth, right? Um, but actually, we know who his friends are, and and we know what he's been doing, and we know where he is, and we know his phone number, and we know all sorts of other things about him. So, actually, if he's up to a bit of no good. Um, Facebook knowing where he is is more useful to you than a forged Portuguese driving license photocopy in a drawer somewhere. So actually, why don't you let people open accounts using their Facebook identities up to, you know, some some level, $500, $1,000 or, or whatever. 
Facebook knows whether it's a duplicate identity or not. I mean, and in return for allowing people to, to do that, we'll let people muck around with your Facebook money, whatever it is, Facebook's thing, right? That's a fair deal. So, so I can see that if we want to get out of this financial inclusion dead end, um, we have to have some slightly different thinking. There's no reason why Yoti couldn't use my, my LinkedIn identity or my Facebook identity to allow me to create a profile. Well, um, just sort of to, to counter that, Dave, so um, the government have recently issued GPG-45 standards, which uh, prescribe the level of assurance that you need to go to in order to um, give someone either a low, medium or high level of assurance. Is that in their, is that in their sort of framework thing? It's, it's actually separate to the DCMS policy. Oh, right. it, it, it's linked to it, but it's, it's separate to it. Um, uh, and actually, use of social media, unfortunately. Well, I wasn't really talking about it. So, I mean, I mean, OK, we, we have to separate kind of developing countries and developed countries and de-developing countries like the UK. So what I'm really thinking about is developing countries. You know, mm. I mean, the, I mean, there are I think in the UK, there are about a million people, yeah, a million yeah. adults that don't have a bank account. Yeah. And if I, I, rem I mean, I may be remembering the research wrong, but in my head, I have that it's broadly split between people who can't have a bank account and people who don't want one. So if you if you exclude the people who don't want one, there's only about half a million people who, who would like a bank account but can't get it. And I for 90% of those, the reason they can't get it is ID documentation. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not because they it's not to do with wealth or, or it's just ID. So so if we could help those people by easing their passage into into um, civilized society by using their social media profiles well you know why not yeah i think you know ideologically I, 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 I think you know you're, you're onto something you've got a very good point and um you know it's, it's not the first time that you know i've been sort of party to these kind of conversations but um you know the people who i sort of you know service are, are, are the banks and the fintechs and um more specifically it's the compliance officers around that so um we really have to kind of work to to their standards and um within the framework of the regulations actually to, to the point also on banks uh gareth you know why why we spoke a little bit about why banks were not able to be uh the ones that created our identities that we could port and be federated with and dave you had very um specific views on that but why did it fall to a fintech or why does it fall to the fintechs to be the ones that come up with the solutions versus, I don't know, uh, a government organization or the NHS or some combination of, of people who have a lot of sensitive data about me in the first place? Well, I mean, I think I think Gareth and I were I, I can't remember exactly what we said on the podcast now, but I mean, um, but my sort of general feeling about that is that. You know, we, we tried the grand scheme idea and that didn't work. I mean, going back to the days of Michael Howard. And uh, and the idea of some sort of grand Internet scheme thing doesn't really seem to. I mean, people have been talking about Internet driving license and all this. Else, don't so I think we need to look at more sector specific solutions and, and, and work sector by sector, but in an interoperability, like in a framework, you know, which which DCMS I mean, they haven't put forward a framework, but they've put forward a, you know, a, a proposal to set up a committee to think about the possibility of investigating a feasibility study to consider the options for a study group that could focus on frameworks. 
So they're working on it. So they're working <laughs> on it. And if you look at um, if you look at what might drive that forward, I, I think I have changed my views on that because before the if you know if I'd have been sitting down with Gareth before the pandemic, I would have just assumed, as I imagine he did, that that banks would be in the forefront of this because they've already done the KYC. The bank already knows who you are, but they don't monetize it. So it would seem quite obvious that banks should get their heads together and, and, and come up with some, you know, a bit like Bank ID in Scandinavia or something like that, you know, obviously with, with some modern refinements, you know, not, not, not just aping that, but it hasn't really happened. And now I'm sort of thinking, actually, if there was progress on a financial identity, I don't really care. I'm stuck in the house going mad with COVID psychosis. You know, I mean, basically, uh, I can log into my Barclays app till the cows come home. Uh, who cares? You know, if I want to get out of the house, I need to be able to get my vaccine passport that will get me in to watch Woken Against Hartlepool or go to the cinema again. Or I want to go to a restaurant, but I only want to go to a restaurant where people have already. I want I want to know that everyone has tested negative. Like that's what will get me out of the house. So would I would I download and install Yoti? in order to you know look at a bank account or a pension or something well uh, maybe i would in the future gareth and sorry to be a miserable old git but i can't, can't be bothered right now would i download yoti if it would get me into the football yes i would mm. you know would i download yoti if it gets me on a plane indisputably mm. you know so I'm, I'm now i'm starting to think maybe maybe i spent too long focusing on banks as the uh, and maybe it's time to sort of broaden the narrative and get more more people involved in this yeah. identity privacy by design this kind of more sophisticated narrative about what can be delivered you, you you're right i mean it, it is about utility so um nobody's going to download an app um for you know one particular customer journey or use case you've got to have more in there um you've got to basically you know allow the user to to, to share their id with more than one provider in order to give them the, the benefit of actually, you know, taking the five minutes to download the app and show their face and do all the tests. Um, at the moment, um, you know, it's fair to say that age verification is, 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 is the best use case for that. Um, actually, we think that, you know, over, over time in the next um, 12 to 24 months, uh, you'll be asking to verify your age for all sorts of things online that you should have to, quite frankly, that you don't have to uh, right now. And there are changes in the law and, 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 and legislations around that coming around the corner, um, emanating from Europe, actually. Um, we also we've we also been lobbying for, for such a long time now to kind of, you know, have digital identity as a, an effective proof of age for um, purchasing alcohol. So that is not currently the case. Uh, the legislation is a little bit sort of archaic. It, it talks about the use of having a hologram ID. Um, so that that sort of rules out credentials for the moment. But we, we see, you know, uh, with the lobbying that, that's currently being done in and around the industry, uh, we hope to see changes in the next 12 to 18 months in that regard. Um, so it remains to be, you know, um, if you kind of take all that away, financial services is um, the main sector in this country that is using um, digital identity but I, I say that in a very loose way because they're not using digital identities in I own my identity on my phone they're using this principle of electronic ID verification so I'll onboard with you 
but actually tomorrow I'll have to onboard with someone else. I'll have to do the same tests over and over again. So we think that people are getting a little bit bored of that. You know, if you've got a Revolut card, a Monzo card and Starling card, you've done it three times. You shouldn't really need have to be able to do that. But the banks tell us, um, this is speaking quite frankly, that, you know, until we get five, maybe 10 million uh, users of the Yoti app in the UK, they're just not interested because it creates too much friction in the journey. So for the, for the, uh, the other 50, 60 million people in the UK who don't have a Yoti, you have to send them away to download a third party app. There's issues of trust in that. Uh, you have to get them to come back to share their ID. That's too much friction. So that's why predominantly for the most part, you know, banks at the moment are using B2B white label products for electronic ID verification. Um, so that, you know, that, that, that's really the space that we're, we're playing in right now. It's not actually digital ID until someone comes up with a use case that says, well, actually my digital ID can hold um, some aspects about my risk profile as well. They can hold, um, you know, the fact that I have a, a KYC rubber stamp uh, from, you know, a certain date and time stamp. So that, that, that will be, then become a little bit more useful for the banks to consume. Um, but what I would like to see, um, you know, is, is the banks involved in um, setting up schemes which make it a little bit more cooperative and collaborative in terms of the way they, they approach this. At the moment, each bank stands alone as an island. Um, and that, that's mainly because they have their own independently involved policies and procedures which are very different, you know, to the next bank. So um, it does make it quite hard for them to work together collaboratively. I mentioned to you both that I was trying to open another business bank account for a new business that I was setting up. And I, last night, after four days of trying to get everything uploaded that they needed on one of the new digital banks, I just told them that I'm abandoning my basket and I don't really want to go forward. And they wrote back to me saying, we're sorry about that because my fellow director already has an account with this particular bank. And when we were sharing his passport online, feeling sick inside personally, they said, doesn't really matter. We can't do it because the email address we have is yours. <laughs> and I have to be honest, as a very logical person in common sense, I was sitting there thinking, this is nuts. He already is a customer. They've already done this with him. But there's nothing where I can say, hey, he has account number, blah, 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 blah. Can't you just put us together now? You've done mine. I've cleared. I've, asked, I've answered all the silly questions that go along with the, the, the start of a business forecasting and everything. And the, 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 so the final solution was I'm leaving and I'm going to go somewhere else where somebody else has a different set of rules. And, and the different sets of rules also we see, we've all seen different COVID passport solutions, different, uh, 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 there's many companies, of course, in digital identity space. And we're always asking people, why are you different? What's unique about you? You know, which bit of the chain are you working in? We look to some companies where they only do one thing and they sweep data lakes and we know how they fit in with everybody else, for example. So how do we avoid also having multiple solutions that don't talk to each other and they just confuse the consumer or the buyer that might be a business? Well, that, that's gonna be the, the, the default position. Um, unfortunately, when the private sector um, you know, with, with you know, the, the, the innovation and the competition amongst the different competing players, um, you know, tries to drive solutions. They tend to do things differently because, you know, um, you know, having a USP is, is really key. So every, 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 you know, there are three dozen digital identity platforms that I can think of globally, all who do digital identity 
with the same outcome of being able to verify your identity, but actually they all do things in very different ways. Some of them use um, data sources, some of them use biometrics, different, ty different types of biometrics. Um, but unfortunately that, that, that is always gonna be the default position when left to the private sector. So it really takes um, you know, a strong government with, with um, you know, an, an agenda uh, and invested in solving the problems uh, for consumers actually, and for voters. Uh, to actually bring all this together. So we, 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 are, we are seeing, I have to say, we're, we're seeing positive signs of this. Um, it certainly looks a lot better than it, say, did um, a couple of years ago, I think. Um, I mean, the government has tried. They, they implemented um, a scheme called gov.verify, um, which clearly has not worked and is in the process of being phased out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it relies upon the government um, setting uh, the direction of travel. The, um, the current government um, focus, which is, I think, which was is Michael Gove's single sign-on thing, um, which, you know, th in theory should solve that for, for government departments. I mean, I say in theory, because there's no evidence that any of them will, will, will actually use it. But I, I don't think that gets us anywhere. I mean, I, I think we need, we need to start from the beginning with this much bigger vision of an interoperable framework for different kinds of identity that are going to work together you know we, we're not going to you know this is the uk we're not going to have a government identity to do things we just don't live like that right so therefore we're going to need a banking we're going to need like a financial services identity a health identity an education identity a travel identity which i agree with i mean i, I as i said before i think these sector specific uh, folks it makes sense but they need to be an interoperable framework because we don't want to carry 10 different phones you know for each of these uh, each of these identities we need each of these bundles and they have to be able to interoperate with each other you know for there's an awful lot of circumstances where if i'm logging into i'm logging in to create an account at the daily telegraph to post abuse about the chancellor of the exchequer a couple of times a day I mean, does it really matter whether I'm using my travel identity or my health identity? I mean, they just need a persistent, or actually my John Doe identity, because they just need a persistent identity. Um, so, it's, and, and any of those could, could work. So I, I kind of think that in the great scheme of things, has it really mattered um, that the government hasn't really got its act together so far? Mm -hmm. I don't know, I, I, I'm not so sure. So, so, so I'm, I'm going to agree with you. Um, you know, we, we are actually, um, you know, I'm aware of seven uh, digital ID trust schemes in the UK. There's one for pensions, there's one for age verification, there's one for um, home purchasing, there's one for opening um, an ISA account. Uh, there are a couple more as well. So I can see that we could go on for another hour, but we're running out of time. So I'd like to ask you both just a final thought on the on the topic, where we are and where we might be in one year from now. Well, where we are is uh, where we were before, which is we still don't have a digital identity infrastructure or any immediate prospect of a digital identity infrastructure. But um, but just to just to sort of reflect on something that was said earlier, I, I, I wonder if perhaps Perhaps I'm underestimating the impact of the pandemic. Perhaps the needs to be online for health, education, government, business, and everything else actually will, will, will give things a bit of a kick. And perhaps the government's new framework will get, get organized a bit a bit quicker than I'm imagining. Mm. 
So I, I'd just like to kind of add a little bit more to that answer. So if I think about where we were 18 months ago, we'll have a conversation with firms who are just interested, just looking to explore as part of their overall horizon scanning. If we look at where we are today, they're more than interested. They're, they're looking over their shoulders at their competitors and seeing that their competitors have started to build technology infrastructure that supports uh, deployment of these sort of solutions. And now they're looking to get budgets agreed, um, looking to put in place pilots. Uh, there are various trust schemes which are um, building pilots today. So in 12 months time, I actually think we'll be live with at least one of these trust schemes. And um, one of those trust schemes, if, it, if they succeed, then they will accelerate um, the use and the move towards portable, reusable digital identity. At the moment, today, Yoti's had uh, between one and one and a half million uh, downloads of the app in the UK. I see in one year's time, if all things go well, uh, with our partnership with the post office, that could easily be up around four to five million. And at that point, you know, you've got a user network around the app, which is going to be really important for a number of private sector firms to want to tap into. They're going to want to market themselves and get access to that user network, at which point the whole thing really accelerates. So I think the next 12 to 18 months is going to be the digital identity is going to be the, the most exciting niche tech sector to work in. I, I, I genuinely believe that. Wow. Thank you very much, Gareth. Thank you very much, Dave. I think if there's a silver lining out of this uh, last year of crisis, this could be it. Dave Birch, money, digital identity is the new money. Identity is the new money dot com. Identity is the new money dot Thank you very much. Gareth Narod Singh, Yoti will we'll be watching and we'll watch it at the post office as well. Thank you both very much for joining me at the LIBF podcast. And also everyone can go back and listen to the webinar from the 17th of March. We hope that you've enjoyed today's podcast and also that you will enjoy or have enjoyed the webinar earlier in the week. If you'd like to hear more and learn more, just go to the website and where you can sign on and join our events and also subscribe to the podcast as we go forward.